This is Leaders Who Scale, and I'm Jeff Siegel. I've worked with thousands of companies over the years, and I'm fascinated by seeing how many of them grow and scale. Join me as we learn from the leaders of growing companies and share that knowledge. Leaders Who Scale is sponsored by Siegel Solutions, providing world-class accounting, advisory, and QuickBooks and Acumatica Cloud ERP services. Today's guest started as an entrepreneur while in college, where he ran a painting business and began remodeling and investing in real estate. After college, he started a lawn service company, growing it to service 2,200 properties with over 20 employees before selling it in 2014. In 2014, he started Heirloom Property Management with his previous business partner, and it's grown to more than 60 full-time employees managing over 750 units, providing full in-house maintenance and construction, as well as multifamily real estate development. He has many years of business and project management experience and has been involved in accounting, HR, construction management, and investor relations. I want to welcome Nick Adams. Welcome, Nick. Thanks, Jeff. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being on. Um, I bet. didn't act... I didn't say you're from Duluth, Minnesota, so I, I always throw that in there. So um, I, how's the weather up there this, this time of year? It is a slow spring right now. I think that maybe we'll hit 55 today. So it's a little dreary and cold. Um, we're on the shore of Lake Superior, so it has a little bit of like an ocean kind of uh, Pacific Northwest vibe to our area. Cool. Yeah. Well, I hope the weather does get a little better. I, it, I'm, we're in the Boston area and it was... Besides a little rain on Saturday, it's it was actually a nice nice weekend here for a change. We had a lot of rain last year. It seemed like every hall, every weekend was rain. So hopefully um, we've turned the corner this year. So awesome. So I always start out asking leaders, what is the most challenging aspect of growing and scaling the, your company? Uh, I think that is a that is a really good question um, because I think. You know, I think it's it is hard to pinpoint to one thing. I think one of the things that I didn't necessarily fully understand when we got really into growth, how and for us it was probably the the constant breaking of systems and processes. You know, what works today can really quickly not work in in a short period of time as you add more people into a process and a system. You know, I think that on the outside, a lot of people view success is this really nice linear growth curve that kind of goes up. And the, the reality of what it's like is it's these series of really rapid growth, almost like a vertical line, and then a plateau, where you catch up a little bit and you can, you can regroup and, and reinvent or, or analyze what your numbers are looking like, or your systems or your team. And then you, you, know, you, you get another opportunity to sort of shoot up and then you have to kind of plateau to catch your breath a little bit it's much more feels a bit like intervals, right? You know, high intensity for a short period of time. And then you kind of level off for a little bit. Um, and I think that when we first hit that, our, probably our first plateau, when we broke everything, every system that we had and the way that we were running the business from, from four employees when we, when we started, you know, I think there was a little bit of, oh, are we doing this wrong? Did we, are, is this wrong? Do we, you know, and it was in that and doing those multiple reps that I think that, that was probably one of the most challenging because it's there's a constant reinvention that that has to happen. Does that happen? Um, is that is that does leadership notice that, or is that kind of like the bubbling up from like 
the team going, Hey, this isn't working for us. And it, it's, yeah. yeah, it's, I think it's both. So one of my favorite questions to ask when something's not going right, one of my favorite questions is, is it, is it people or is it process? Mm-hmm. So is it the person? Are, are you just hitting a limit on that person's capability, their ability to be into that role and do the tasks? Or do you have a broken process and a great person who's sort of banging their head against the wall doing something that is, um, you know, that just needs to be refined or fixed or done better? And, and by approaching it in those two questions, it does allow you to really then focus your effort in those areas that are struggling. Do you notice or have you noticed talking about systems and, and people that um, you know, I don't know if you ever heard or read that book, Predictable Success, but they talk about or he talks about the, the stages of a company's growth and how at the very beginning, it's what he calls, I think, uh, early stage. You're just kind of like struggling to get clients and cash and kind of move up to that next stage, which which is the fun stage, which, hey, we, we got this stuff happening, you know. We got clients, money's coming in, we're hiring people, and we're kind of actually having fun at this. And but the the next stage, and I'm curious whether you, you feel these stages, was they call uh, whitewater, um, where it's, oh, we need to get our systems in place because all of a sudden we're bringing in clients and things are fun, but all, you know, we're you know, we're missing, you know, co- contracts aren't signed or like, you know, you know, we're, people aren't tracking their hours correctly or, you know, just systems aren't in place. And I'm curious, they talk about how you have to bring in different types of people at those stages, like a processor type of a person who's got a a system background versus a visionary, which is probably like you and your business partner who you've got some great vision for the future. Um, Yeah. 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 I think that's a, it's a really interesting, I was kind of laughing as you were, you were, you were saying it because, you know, you're right. There was the, the initial startup where you were figuring it out and you're, you're really kind of taking your idea, whether it's going to come to fruition or not. Right. And you see these leads coming in and you, you see revenue and, and you see all of these things happening. And it's sort of affirmation of this idea that you had sort of in practice. And it is really fulfilling and it's a lot of fun. And then you're right. There is this transition. There was a point in time for us. We took every property we could get our hands on. It didn't matter. Right. You had units, you had rental properties, you wanted somebody to manage it. Let's take them. Well, well, we ended up taking a lot of really difficult owners who didn't like to spend money on maintenance, didn't really care about tenant experience, didn't want to spend on dollars on capital improvement. And so through that too, right? Yeah, there was definitely some whitewater in there when we were realizing, oh, we don't make great margin on those those customers and they take all of our time. Um, And then when it came to staffing, so... Oh, maybe five years ago, um, we signed up with a company, um, our first, the company we used um, doing personality assessments before we hired people. Mm-hmm. Because you're right, I think that if I was just left to my own devices, and in that whitewater is kind of what happened, uh, both my partner and I, we hired people that were like us, that we liked. Um, so we had a whole bunch of really high A, dominant, mm-hmm. outgoing people filling the company and, and property management is legal contracts. A lease is a legal contract. A property management agreement is a legal contract, right? There is, it's a heavy detail, you know, systems. You have to have a lot of processes crossing a lot of T's and dotting a lot of I's. Well, that's not my strong suit. That's not my partner's strong suit. And so we ended up really in these spots where we had people 
who were fantastic people at, and I loved working with them, but they were in the wrong seats. Um, and so it was through that turmoil that we ended up doing assessments for people before we hired them on. So before we even sit down for an interview, we can take a position and sort of target, okay, this is the type of person, or this is the, this is the personality profile of a person that's going to succeed in this role. Um, and what happened in there is we got a lot, uh, a lot better people in seats that were better suited for them. It's not that the other people, I say half of them have moved to other roles, other half did move on. And then the people we filled in are much more targeted to that role. Um, now in there, you know, it was like that solved this problem. And then we had this other problem because now all of a sudden I'm leading a team of really detail oriented people, um, you know, who don't connect with vision and big picture. You know, I can't just paint a picture and get them to start rowing with me because I didn't answer all of their fundamental detail questions. I didn't help them solve the things that are barriers to them. So in there is we got these great people and then it became a bit of a mirror and a reflection on, oh, my leadership game has got to step up because I'm going to have to lead people who fundamentally approach problems different than I do. And I've got to slow myself down. I've got to show up and be able to answer their questions. Otherwise, they're going to be uncomfortable and they're not going to be able to do, you know, deliver their, their best work. And that was a really interesting uh, moment as far as um, understanding that, yeah, we solved this one problem and kind of created another one. Yeah, now that's fascinating. You actually say that because in, in the same book, Predictable Success, and, I, and maybe I'm, I'm pushing this book, which is great. Uh, and that, that by no means am I trying to do that. But what you're what you're talking about is in there because what he get, goes into is this this conflict that happens between the visionary and the processor because the visionary this this conflict because you may not even want to do everything the process is telling you they, they need to do all the company needs to do. We need to get this done, signed. And you are kind of thinking 18 months down the road sometimes. Um, and it's tough for some, for both parties to kind of like get together. And they, they talk about this new, this role that is a learned behavior. And it sounds like you've done it called the synergist. How do I synergize between these players? Um, you know, in my own company, I'm probably, you know, the worst culprit of, you know, my, my people here, like expense report, like all the little stuff that you have to do run a company, right? Expense reports and you're putting your time in to track for against clients. I'm probably the worst one to do it because I'm out there meeting and greeting and getting new clients. And, and there's, there is a natural, oh, I don't need to do that. I'm the, I'm the leader. Um, but it's something that sounds like you've kind of got through that. It's working. Yeah, so we implemented EOS a couple of years ago. Um, I think it was right around that same time. And that was actually the L10 meeting. So we do an L10 meeting both as a leader. So we have a leadership team and there are seven of us on the leadership team, um, very departmentalized within our, our company because we do a lot of, of really different things. And then what we do is then each department head does their own L10 with their team leads. So it's sort of like we have a company-wide leadership L10, and then we have a departmental-specific L10. And it was in those meetings where it actually became a lot more apparent to me that, okay, I need to adjust my message because, you know, when there's the issues list and there's, there's people just filling out, you know, they have tons of issues about these things that I want to move forward that are our rocks, 
and and trying to be able to connect with them in a way. And then I think there was also a part of at the very beginning, I just don't think I appreciated what they were bringing to the table, right? It felt more like a burden, their, their focus on details. And then what happened was is the realization that they can create a process and they can execute things and, and handle a lot more detail than I can. And they do it naturally. And that's where they gravitate towards. So understanding the value that they bring to our system. And then I think that for me, one of the messages that really resonated that helped is like, I really appreciate all these things that you're seeing that we need to tighten up and do better to continue to grow and, and to adjust. And what I want is don't just bring me the problem and tell me all the reasons we can't do it. Let's connect and figure out what's in the way so that we can do it. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that that just reminding people of it's a, it's just this minuscule little thing, but it takes somebody who's hyper-focused on details and it can also help remind me that, okay, I just, I need to understand that they're not doing this because they don't think it's a good idea. They're just not maybe great at communicating, hey, these are all of the things that we should solve for me to feel comfortable moving this direction and growing. For anyone who's listening or watching this podcast, I, 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 we use EOS here as well. But if you, if you want to go into a little bit more detail on what that system is, uh, that'd be great. Yeah. So the book was written by Gino Wickman um, and it came out what 20 some years ago. And I think what's happened in the last five to 10 years, right. Traction. Yep. Um, And I think that, so it's this idea that as a business um, we waste a lot of time sort of talking with each other. um, And so the idea is create a really simple business plan, do it with your leadership team, do it every year create a three-year goal, and then have a 10-year target, your, your BHAG, your big, hairy, audacious goal. Um, and then check in on those once a year. And then you also create quarterly rocks. So if your one-year goal is to do X, Y, and Z, your leadership team then has rocks that they have to accomplish every quarter that sort of feed to those overall company goals. And, and so you do a quarter, so you do a yearly meeting, you do a quarterly meeting, and then you do these weekly meetings that are called an L10. And in L10, there's a template for it. Uh, it's an hour and a half meeting. And it starts with some, it's got timeframes on it, bullet points. And really what you're doing in that meeting is you're checking in on what they call a scorecard. And so your scorecard are some KPIs, uh, key performance indicators. So within your business, there's certain things like for us, we watch margin, we watch volume, uh, we watch doors, you know, we watch... Uh, our, our, our satisfaction scores, you know, there's a bunch of things that we watch. And really the idea with the KPI is there are the things that you can look at and know whether your business is in a healthy spot, sort of red, yellow, green. And you, um, try, to each, do, um, you try to do leading indicators for those too. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Right. And so good example, lagging indicator is your PL, right? So your PL is your look back last month, a leading indicator for us, just take our, our, our maintenance business, for example, a leading indicator in our maintenance business is how many work orders are, are in the queue. You know, that, that's an example. We know if those work orders are in the queue, we know what our average work order ticket is. We can forecast revenue and margin based on that information. Um, it took us about two years to really get some good forward-looking KPIs. They were not intuitive. It took a little bit of thinking and going through the process of the, the L10 to really dial those in. Um, and then really what everybody's presenting to is they're also going over how are they doing on their rocks? Are they moving forward? Are they making progress? And then you talk about issues. And really the issues tend to be what is out of line 
either in our KPIs and what is out of line on our progress towards our rocks for the quarter, because those roll up to our yearly goals. So if we're off on our, on our weekly KPIs, chances are we're probably going to be off on our quarterly KPIs, which then probably means we're going to be off on our yearly goals that we set. And so it's this really simplistic system. Um, and, and we found it hugely valuable, both at the leadership level and at the department level, because I know without having to spend a ton of time, I know what's happening in three other departments in our business because I look at their scorecard and I know if they're struggling on something. And so I can help either provide support, attention or whatever. You know, it, it's, a, it's a really easy way to know what's going on. And it's cut down on, I have half the amount of meetings I, I used to have because we've implemented EOS. Yeah, I know we, we implemented it also about a year ago. So, um, but like you said, that L10, that 90 minute meeting, it starts on time, it ends on time. And it's, you know, we, in the past, our meetings would drag on and it seemed like nothing ever got done. And the same issues came up the next meeting. And uh, it, it has forced us to just be, to get through and um, get things accomplished. And like the whole, uh, you know, issue, issue discussion and solving, you know, part of that meeting is great. We, we solve issues, we get through it. So, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, going back to our staffing stuff, right. And that, and that mm-hmm. issue we had is we added a whole bunch of staff that were very different personalities. I think the other thing that happens is it also allows the staff to have, they know they've got a one-on-one or, or you know, a group meeting with their peers and their direct supervisor, and they're going to have a chance to bring up issues. Mm-hmm. Um, I will say as a department, some, there's like, I mean, our, our accounting team has their own L10. Now they don't really have as many KPIs. Their metrics are a little different. It's a little bit more binary because it's kind of a pass fail on that. Um, and so it's, it's a little harder to have forward looking in that world, but um, you know, that means that our, all of our accounting team, both our people in-house and our remote team get together once a week. And it's an opportunity for them. One, it's the department lead opportunity to sort of talk about where we're headed, you know, what needs to get done, a reminder of the quarterly rocks. And then it's really just a, a voice for them to make sure that their concerns or issues are heard. And it's allowed us to retain people who are very different than than my own personality. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't think that would have been possible if it wasn't for some doing those meetings and then doing our personality profiles. When did you start EOS? Oh, so we would have started EOS in kind of time gets fuzzy between the pandemic. So I think it was uh, 2018. Okay. End of 2018. Um, I think it, at the beginning of 2019 is when we did our first uh, offsite two-day or three-day um, mm-hmm. business planning summit. So what um, what caused you to, ch- to do start EOS? Was there, that was about 2018. I think you started, you're looming around 14, 15 time mm-hmm. frame. Was there a certain point in the, the business growth where you said, oh, we, we got to start putting stuff, some of the stuff in, in play here, um, in place and everything? Yeah. So luckily, you know, uh, I will say um, one of the things that, that we do a lot of is we have we have three different mastermind groups we're a part of in our industry. Um, sorry, two in our industry and one that's not. So other business owners, people running companies, we get together once a year and we basically present business plans, how things are going. You know, you report on your previous years and the goals you set. We have two that are within our industry. 
We also have a business consultant that we've worked with now for six years. Um, and so through those interactions, um, it's also sort of realized there was, there was a, a realization of, okay, we got to level up. Mm-hmm. Um, just because that we were involved when the company started doesn't mean we always get a seat in the operations. Um, and I think that that was a really interesting learn a little bit is that I can, as a leader, if I hit a ceiling, um, that's going to be the day that I, I actually have to hire somebody that's going to be better than me to continue to operate the entity. Um, and so part of that is, is the reason we did that is because it was a realization that if we want to continue to develop and grow ourselves and continue to stay in the seats that we're in, we've also got to level up our own skills. Um, and, and that was a lot of guidance from our business consultants, right? The idea of, of, yeah, we work in the business, but it's really this idea between operations and equity, right? Um, just because you're equity in a business doesn't mean you, you automatically get a seat in operations, Right. You have to earn that seat. Yeah. You have to continue to earn that seat by focusing on your own development, growth, leadership. Um, you know, as the business grows, you could you can be you can be the hindrance to the continued growth if you can't work on yourself and recognize when you need to to do development and, and get better. Yeah, I think a lot of leaders almost get a little nervous if the business could get get beyond them, right? If they they if they hire people who are smarter than them, right, which they should be doing, um, they they do hinder it. Like you just mentioned, they, they almost feel like, um, you know, it's like the, the business is not me anymore. It's bigger than me or I can't handle it or they're like, I got all these smart people around me. And um, it should, you know, it shouldn't be a fair. Like you mentioned, you should be an opportunity to grow and grow the company and, you know, as grow as a leader. Yeah, I heard a story, and, and I can't remember which book I heard it in, but there was a story where Henry Ford allowed a reporter to come into the office, and he said, "Okay, I'm, I'll you get my full attention. I'll answer any question that you have." And the reporter came in and started asking questions, and Henry Ford picked up the phone and called different department heads and asked for the answer, and then gave it to the reporter. And the reporter was like, "Well, that's not what you said was going to happen." And Henry Ford was like, "I can't know everything. I, I'm not supposed to. Right? That's why I have experts." within these areas so that they can answer these questions. Cause that's not my goal. I'm not the answer bot. Um, and I thought that was a really, uh, a really good, I always liked that. Cause it was like, you're right. That's not, I don't have to know everything or be the expert on all of it, but that, that would be, that would hinder our ability because then I become a bottleneck. And if I'm a bottleneck, then there's only, you know, we can't grow anymore. No, that, that's true. And when I started my business, we do outsourced accounting and, I used to know every client, how to do the, you know, everything that had to be done. And at some point you just, as you're growing, you, you can't do it anymore. And you have to realize that like, Hey, I, I don't know every client. And there are times that somebody will bring up in a meeting, a client name. And I'll be like, who's that? Oh, they've been a client for six months. I'm like, Oh, I, I didn't know that. Cause that's when you truly know your company's kind of growing, you know, and, and it doesn't necessarily you almost in it, and I'm not saying this in a negative way, but you almost try to make yourself irrelevant to the to operations because you're a visionary. You should be thinking about the future and with trying to steer the company, not not be the mate, be the pilot of the plane, not the maintenance person on the plane. So yeah, so um, it's interesting. So part of in the L10, right? So there's employee, customer, and employee headlines, right? It's one mm-hmm. of the, yep. the sections in there. 
Um, one of the things that I always find interesting is when one of the department heads talks about new staff and I have no idea who they are. Right. That is that is the weirdest moment because I've intimately known everyone sure. up until about a year or so ago. And now even this morning, um, I was in I was in uh, the, our director of property management's office and there was a person out in our, our kitchen area. And I was like, who is who is that? Um, and she was able to explain who it was and, and she's just behind on doing welcome emails with photos because we've, we've gotten to do that because there's enough people that we've hired and grown that it's just hard to know who people are. But walking around the office and seeing people that I don't know who they are and I don't think they know who I am. Um, right. I mean, maybe they do, but I, and that's a really weird, I don't like it. Um, but also, I, if, again, if I'm the only one that can hire, we're going to be stunted in our growth and that's not sure. going to work. Yeah. Yeah. How is that? Are you involved yourself in the hiring process? For certain roles, um, anything that's sort of manager level or departmental level, I am involved in the interview. So um, I did a little stint right after college where I was a, I was a recruiter for a franchise. Um, and so we were hiring franchisees. And so I, I, I got a lot of practice on interviewing behavioral interviews. Um, and so I do enjoy the interview process quite a bit. And I think that having the softwares we use that, that give us a really great picture of who somebody is uh, before we even sit down with them really allows us to sort of target the interviews. Um, and a lot of times our interviews then are just to verify what's on their resume, what their, what their profiles say, mm-hmm. you know, making sure we kind of already know who they need to be to fit into the role. Um, so, uh, but yeah, I do, I do, I would say I'm probably involved in 50% of the interviews, 40%. I think it just depends on what the demand right. is. Um, but, you know, to, maybe to, to like, so going back to the profile, because I think that um, one of the biggest problems that, you know, I know you asked at the beginning and it's like this big full circle, but I do think that staffing is really underrated when you talk about problems and scaling. Um you know, once you figure out your product, what you're doing, you know, you can make a margin at it. You can get replicatable. That's awesome. Now you got to fill those seats because you're going to do more of it. Mm-hmm. And so the way that the profiling piece works that, that has fundamentally changed our business from a retention standpoint to, to performance of the people in the roles is you map a position and say, okay, this position has a really high need for details or like a sales position, this person needs to have a really big propensity to connect with others. And so you can sort of map out a little bit of, of what the perfect person would look like that would be in that role. And, uh, and then people take a survey and it sort of compares who they are to what the role is. And what happens is, is anybody can do any role. It's that if people's personality or their default are really outside of the norm of what you're seeing in your, in your profile Those people are more susceptible to burnout because they're having to put a face on every day that they come in and be somebody that they're not. They're either having to repress a part of themselves or amp up a part of themselves that isn't necessarily their strength or, or whatever. And so what happens is, is work can feel exhausting for those people. And then you end up in situations where people just aren't bought in. It doesn't matter right? It doesn't matter if you have the best process or whatever, they're having to be somebody they're not to be successful at that role. And that can only last for so long. Have you liked a candidate, but then that, that, uh, survey, the, um, analysis basically says they're just not right. For All the time. 
I mean, all the time. It's got to be a little tough, right? Because you, you, you. It's a reminder that I would only hire people like me if yeah. I didn't have these other tools, right? Because I like people who are outgoing and gregarious and funny and witty and and all of these things. And it's not that somebody who's going to be in accounting can't be those things. Sure. They absolutely can be, but they also it's rare to have them have that piece and a really high affinity for process and details. Um, and those things, you know, I, I'm really good at hiring people like me. I could go hire every single person that's just like right. me and we'd have a dumpster fire. It'd be, it'd be huge, but it'd be a dumpster fire. Yeah. Um, and so it was that realization of, of, okay, maybe we have to slow a little bit and it's going to take mm-hmm. more time to answer the questions. But as we then, you know, we get better systems, better processes, better details, we miss fewer things. Um, and overall, we run more efficiently. And so then it allows growth later to be easier. And we kind of made that decision um, that maybe we got it. It's like, you know, that, that straight up and then the plateau mm-hmm. and the straight up and the plateau. And one of our plateaus was the realization of we can't just hire people that are outgoing and gregarious. We, yeah. You know, they have a place, but we also have to look for other things. Does, does the tool also analyze the team? So how they would work in the team? Like, I don't based on your profile and everyone else that may be there or in their, their yeah. group? Yeah. So you can create a team or you can compare them one-on-one to somebody else. So typically what we do in our interview and selection process is I have them complete that assessment. Um, and then when they come in for the interview, we do, we try to do in-person interviews as often as we can. Um, if we can't do an in-person interview, if they're, if they are coming in, I give them their results when they show up and I have, you know, and I let them read that for five minutes. Or I send it as a PDF of their results to them and ask them to read the details. Um, and, and part of it is because I have yet to have someone look at it and be like, that is dead wrong. Nobody ever says that. Everybody's like, this is crazy. Um, and then once somebody's hired, typically on the first, you know, if, I, if they're a direct report of mine, I don't have my, my team do this just yet. But if they're a direct report of mine, I pull a relationship guide between them and me. And so I put the two of us and it says, okay, here's where you guys are going to be really strong. Here's where you're really going to have challenges and difficulty in your relationship and communication. And I do that not because, you know, we're absolving any issues, but it just sets the tone that, hey, we're going to bump into this stuff and we have to have really good dialogue or it's, it's, it's going to be a problem because here's the areas where our personalities are going to conflict a little bit. And that's been really helpful. And it's a good reminder, right? It's that, okay, I need to, I need to slow down a little bit. This person needs more information or more time to process. They'll come back and talk to me tomorrow. I can't just paint a pretty picture and have them jump on board today. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like, I don't know if you put that out right out front when you go to hire somebody, but it sounds like going into the relationship, the working relationship, you both would know, or people would know how the other person receives information or gives information and how that's going to benefit or, or hurt the relationship at times. So, yeah. That, yeah. And I give them my, I give them my profile too. Cause I'm like, Hey, here's me. Um, and you know, you read it and, and you know, it's pretty, it's interesting is, is some of it's great, right. But what it really does a good job at is reminding you of blind spots. You know, I always use the, I, I like the example of take somebody who's driven. Mm-hmm you know, they're going to get a ton of compliments about being really driven and being, you know, man, you just like, you're on it. You, you, you seem to work super hard. It's amazing. The blind spot, right? Our, our greatest strengths tend to be the areas that have our greatest blind spot. And I think somebody who's driven, if you look behind them, there's probably a chance there's a bunch of people that got pushed out of the way. 
unintentionally, mm-hmm. right? But in that driving forward, like a snowplow, they can push people out of the way or off to the side and they can feel less heard. And so I think that what the, the profiling software that we use does a great job is it, it can highlight those areas. Um, you know, this idea of like, lean into your weaknesses, you know, um, um, even in an interview, right? Like highlight your strengths, downplay your weaknesses. My, I'm, I'm opposite. Nope. Mm-mm. Tell me about what you're good at and tell me about what you struggle at. Because, you know, the amount of energy it would take me to be a, a controller, right? A CFO. Mm-hmm. It would take so much work and energy for me to go and do that because I don't gravitate towards that level of details. Um, and that's the, that's what you need. I could do it. I'm just going to have to expend so much energy to sure. do it. And then there becomes the realization of what's going to be a better use of my time. Do I work on the things that I already have an innate ability to highlight those, recognize the blind spots that come with them, mm-hmm. you know, and then find other people who are great at those other things uh, because that's going to be their, their inherent ability. It just might be the yin and the yang sort of a thing. Right. Has there been any times where you see somebody who comes in for a, a job position, takes the test and they're like, no, they don't fit at all, but they're like off the charts for like, I don't know, sales or some other position. Like, Hey, this person doesn't fit the seat that we actually, they're coming in on looking at through whatever process we're using for recruiting, but they would be great in this seat over here. And why don't we talk to them about that? Does that, that ever happen? We do, we do that all. We do it all the time. Okay. All the time. Yeah. So I think that one of the things is by the time you need somebody for a role, it's already almost too late, right? Yep. You've already hit that threshold. And so we sort of have a mentality of always be recruiting, not hiring, but always be looking out for talented people mm-hmm. because you might not need them today, but you might need them in a year or 18 months or, or six months, whatever it is. Um, one of our project managers I met him four years ago and tried to get him to come work with us four years ago, and he wasn't having it. Um, Two years ago, I heard through the grapevine that he was looking to make a move. And so I had already initiated interactions with him, already talked to him, and it was a really easy process to get him over, right? And, And because I had that relationship before, spent time talking with him, meeting with him, Um, it made that, you know, when we did need somebody, I didn't have to go on to indeed and go try to find and sort through all of these different people. I already had somebody who was qualified, who I liked, who I was interested in. And that makes a world of difference on the stress level. And then if I can do that for the other members on the team and say, oh, you need this person. Well, here, I talked to this guy or this girl or this woman six months ago. Why don't you reach out to them? You know, they were interested. They might still be interested. Mm-hmm. Um, and that helps a lot. Um, we don't always have a seat for somebody, but we always keep their contact information. If yeah. they're, if they're super strong, really well-versed, maybe it's not the role we need today, but we want to keep them. We want to keep in contact with them. Yeah. Your first comment about, you know, hire, you're almost hiring too late when you see a need. I mean, I, I see that too many times. Well, I'm not sure. I don't want to do it. I, you know, I don't have the business yet. or I don't have whatever. And I, with us, we, so we end up filling up the person's time with whatever, whether it's services or management, when we hire somebody, even ahead of time, like if we need somebody for accounting, we do 
obviously outsourced accounting. So we may not have the clients yet, but the minute we hire someone, it's almost like the universe says, okay, great. You have capacity. We're going to start sending you this. It's, it's just, uh, you know, I, yeah, it's, it's a mindset too. I think, I think a lot of people are afraid. A lot of leaders are afraid to go out there and hire or recruit. Yeah. Labor is expensive. Labor is really expensive. It's the number one thing that we spend money on in our entire company. Right. I mean, just, just outside of benefits, right. Payroll is really expensive and to make a buck on top of it. Um, and I think our view and mentality has been, you know, we're reinvesting all of the dollars that we make, right. Our margin, everything that we're making at the end of the day, gets plugged back into our business. Um, we're continuing to grow it. Um, and I think that even a healthy business still should be reinvesting between three and 5% of, of net margin back into their business every year. That just, that's par for the course. Yeah. And so, yeah, don't extend yourself too far, but at the same time, always know that if you are in this growth spot, the, the people you have today might not be able to grow to the next level. And that's a reality sometimes. And, and knowing that you've got other people that you've cultivated relationships with and talked with when you're hitting that spot where you're saying, okay, what if we, what if we add some more fuel to this, having somebody in the pipeline or, or, or somebody that you've spoken to who really makes making those decisions so much easier. Mm -hmm. I noticed when I looked at, was looking at your website, how you describe your niche, which is awesome. Cause no one, I don't see many companies do that. Your ideal properties <laughs> and your ideal clients. I think that's kind of cool. Did that come out of, we talked about EOS a while ago. Um, did that come out of that process or did you go into it right away going, here's who our ideal client? Cause I think you mentioned in the early days, you end up taking anyone, right? You just kind of, we did. It's business. It's cash flow. <laughs> we did. Let's keep the lights on, right? Yeah, exactly. Sign them up. We need it. We need it. Um, um, no. So I think that really, it was probably within a year or two of starting the business. I think part of it is because we also have our own, we have uh, eight full-time maintenance techs in-house. We have a full construction company and a general contractor. We do residential and like commercial. I think that what happened was we've been really on the pulse with maintenance and improvements in the properties that we manage. Um, we're not perfect. But a kind of general rule has been from the get-go, with the exception of like the year hiatus where we took everything we could get our hands on, our general rule is if we don't want to live in it, we shouldn't want to manage it. Hmm. And I mean, we're, we're in the property management space. We are a middleman in a way. Um, we're between the owner and the tenant, and, and they can have very conflicting ideas of of what they're after. Their goals don't always align. And so for us, what we found over the years is the owner that does align more with the tenant's goals. They want a nice house that is well taken care of, that is something that they can be proud of. That alignment with the owner allows us to create such a better experience in the marketplace. And it also allows us, we've realized we can make margin on that, right? We can go and perform the maintenance in-house. We can do the construction work. And that property owner views it as a long-term investment. It's not trying to squeeze every dollar out of the turnip that they can, right? It's really about having a, a long-term asset that they've purchased and that the tenants, if they keep their property up, people treat it well. And so um, it, it didn't come out of EOS. It just came out of us making some pretty yeah. 
bad mistakes and, and really have finding ourselves in spots where we had to let go of owners. Like we had to, to end management. There was about a, a 18 month period where we continued to grow, but we dropped off at the same rate. So there was like an 18 month period where we didn't gain any additional units, mm-hmm. but we had about, we had about 20% attrition in that, in that 18 months. So it was an interesting period. Yeah. I and mean, we do every year, we kind of, um, we look at our non-ideal clients that we may have picked up over the years with a lot of legacy type clients and, and even new ones that we may not have made the best choice on when we brought them in. So every year we do, a, we go through a process of, you know, um, which clients aren't ideal, like maybe clients that are on, you know, we focus on QuickBooks and we have a product for an ERP product for larger clients, but if they're, if we bring in a client and all of a sudden they want to start using Vero or Sage and we may have picked them up, said, ah, we can learn it. We'll do, you know, we end up, it doesn't work for us because we just, we can't scale, you know, it just, it, training is always an issue. It's a different platform. So like you and your, you know, tenant wants a great house, but owner just wants to spend minimal money just to keep it up. It just, you know, it doesn't work. Um, so I know. So yeah. And I always have, I have uh, debates with people, friends of mine who are like processes. Well, you brought the clients in, you should keep them. You can't, shouldn't get rid of them. And I'm like, no, if they don't fit, it's, if they don't fit for us, we probably don't fit for them anyway. Right. Cause yeah. Um, so what is just curious what your bi- biggest challenge today is you just current challenge just as you know, if you could look at the, even this year growth. I know you're getting into the development yeah. multi-family real estate. We're just we didn't really yeah. talk about that at all. It's just to me, a whole yeah. different business within a business. I would say that our probably our biggest challenge right now is we're we're graduating a little bit in our construction and development space. So we have gotten we have we have um, two decent sized projects um, that are, are are existing. One's a reused property. So we bought an old abandoned school in town and we're converting it to 98 apartments. And, and that's a pretty significant project. Um, and then we have a, a rehab on a really distressed property in town that's sort of been blight for a really long time. Um, and then we're working on a, um, a 121 unit new construction build. And so getting into that space is very different than residential construction. Right. It is, uh, you know, it's, it's, we're learning an entirely new industry and an entire new way that we have to operate and run. And that's really where I'm, I'm overseeing and spearheading that side of our business right now. And so that's got different needs from our vendors, from our suppliers, from our staffing, even from software needs. I mean, there is a, a multitude of things that go in there. Um, and then, you know, that's all wrapped in, in the fact that now we have investor relations too, right? We have, we have other people who have invested in these, in these deals and properties with us and that they're, you know, they're looking for a return in there too. Um, and so being able to, I think it's just a, we jokingly call it paying tuition, right? It's those moments in which you, you make a mistake and it costs real dollars. Um, it's sort of now that we've done this enough we're going to pay some tuition. I don't know when, I don't know where it's going to be, but I know that sometime in the next six to 12 months, there's going to be a big tuition payment due. <laughs> and I think that, 
you know, it's exciting, it's fun, it's new, you know, but there's also still, even doing this a lot, there's still that fear of what if this doesn't work or, or there's still that, you know, fear of failure. Um, and I think that that's what keeps you humble, right? That's what keeps you learning and wanting to do better. But I would say the biggest challenge in the next 12 months, probably in my space is definitely moving that side of our business forward and creating its own entity that's that's me doing that on a regular basis yeah i was gonna say um, because it's a different it's really a different entity like you just mentioned and, and and i would actually almost be afraid that it would take away from my management and but if you've got the right team in place it shouldn't so yeah yeah and i would say probably the biggest challenge on our our more mature business in our more mature departments is really around getting better systems. Um, we are, we're, we're actively looking at purchasing a few other property management companies out of our market and, and growing. So all of a sudden now we're going to, you know, potentially also, in addition to sort of doing this development piece, we're also looking at going into other markets and purchasing existing, mm -hmm. uh, businesses. And the only way that's going to work is if we can have a system and a framework that we can overlay on top of what they're doing. And so that's really the big driving force in our more mature side of the business is, is getting those systems processes tightened up, going with softwares that have automation integration, things that can help allow you to get through those details easier um, and allow less headspace for the people having to make sure that they're, they're crossing every T and dotting I's, having the solutions and software that help you do that. Um, so that when we do expand into these other markets, we can fairly, I say fairly easily, I mean, it's not gonna be easy, right? Again, there's gonna right. be tuition payments due. <laughs> Um, but you know, the, the tighter our system is the easier that's going to be to onboard, um, those additional businesses. Nice. No, it sounds like you've got a great, a great future. Uh, do, do you, um, do you plan for an exit at some point or is, is that even in like in your roadmap? Like, here's what we want to get to and then whatever, you know? No, I think we do that more on the development side because that's kind of how that space works is there's always either a, a sale or, mm -hmm. or, you know, and it's a five to 10 year exit. But I think on the overall operations of the business, I mean, we're, I'm under 40. Um, and, and, and so is, so is my partner. So I think that we don't, I guess we haven't gotten that far. We're not there yet. It's still really fun. We're still pretty young in our career, it feels mm -hmm. like to be able to to do these things. And so um, we do have some cool things in the works as far as like with our staff doing, uh, we encourage all of our staff to also buy rental properties and get into investment. And, and I think this year we're gonna be rolling out a, um, uh, basically we joint venture with our staff, help with all the down payments and all those things. And then it gets everybody into property ownership. And Wonderful. You know, I would imagine at some point, I don't know, we've talked about um, being an employee owned company at some point. So I think that maybe down the road when we're looking to exit, that might be the route we go. Um, but we're, I think that's a pretty, we're pretty far away pretty from far it. Away. So, yeah, we're, we're, we don't have any detailed some, plans. <laughs> some some companies I, or leaders I talk to, they've already got what, like maybe a, a, a buyer in mind for like 10 years down the road. So they're packaging all along the way, building systems. And, and that's, that's their, the way they're doing it. But like you said, you guys are young. I mean, not even there yet, which is great. Um, cool. I mean, a weird side note about the property management industry is, is for a long time, it was run by small mom and pop owners. It was a lot of times it was realtors that would do it on the side. 
Well, what's happened in the last five to 10 years is this industry has really sort of, um, now that the United States is more and more rentals, you know, there becomes a, a, a required professionalism that happens. And so on the national level, there is a lot of consolidation that's happening in this space. Um, there's, much, there's much fewer, you know, uh, people doing it on the side and, and it is getting to be a more professional industry, which is good, right? It creates a better tenant experience. It, it provides better um, regulation over mm-hmm. making sure that fair housing laws are being practiced. So there is some benefits to it. Uh, I would guess that there's going to be uh, some national chain well, at some point that, yeah, it's going to be a, it's, you know, just like every other industry experiences from, from sort of small individual, you know, shops to, to more professional national organizations. Awesome. No, I, I loved, uh, I loved the, the discussion earlier we had about the, you know, the survey that the test you give your employees, behavioral testing, that sounds great because it's tough, tough with the interviews um, to do it. Just- Can I give a plug? Can I give a plug to the yeah, software? Yeah, please we do. Use? Do it. Yeah. So we use, uh, we use a software called Predictive Index. Right. Um, I can share with you the, 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 the contact info of our, our rep, but um, it has fundamentally changed our business for the better um, and made us better leaders. I would say hands down, if I could go back in time and do anything sooner, it would be mm-hmm. to spend the money on that. Um, you know, I don't know if I, I don't know if I would have yielded the benefit back then. Um, but it's just like everything else, it takes reps, right? The more times you do it, the better you get. Um, and that has been an invaluable tool for us to get more reps at really making sure we've got the right people in the right seat, which is all about what EOS yeah. talks about. Yeah. And if, you know, if you could share that, we could probably put it in the, um, the note, the podcast notes, which would be yeah. for anyone uh, listening. Um, you know, we, we can go, I don't want to take any more of your time really. Um, Cause we've talked for a while. I just real quickly, just to move to just you, you as a person, tell me about yourself. Like where, where are you from? Where'd you go to school? What are you, what are your passions yeah. outside of work? Cause you, you do a lot there. So I grew up um, just north of the Twin Cities. Um, so where we live in Duluth, we're about, we're about two and a half hours north of Minneapolis, mm-hmm. um, kind of right on the edge of, of the Northwoods, but on the shore of Lake Superior, which is amazing. Uh, we're also voted the most climate resistant city in America. Uh, I got like two or three years ago. Wow. Um, it's, my, it's my plug to get people to, to move. Well, the winters are awful. Summers are beautiful. Um, so you got to like winter. Um, and then I have, uh, I have two kiddos. Um, so my son is, uh, seven and my daughter is just about six. Well, she would say that she's five and three quarters. Um, cause, cause you know, you count quarter you years do. when you're a little kid. Yeah. Um, my wife also happens to own a business in town. She is a, uh, um, she's a mental health practitioner. So she has her own therapy practice. Um, we live a bit out of town. I ended up, uh, sorry, I was kind of deviating there. Um, I ended up going to college in Duluth. I went to the University of Minnesota Duluth. They've got a campus up here. It's got about ten to twelve thousand uh, students. Nice. So I ended up here because I used to come up and go snowboarding at some of the places, the hills that are up here. Um, I really enjoyed the North Shore, and so when the opportunity for college happened, um, I was definitely trying to pick an in-state school or a state that had reciprocity uh, mm-hmm. because of cost. So I ended up at UMD. Um, and then post-college, I, I moved down to the Twin Cities, kind of back to the, you know, the, the metropolitan area and did that for a few years. And, and um, when we sold the lawn care business um, in 2014, that's when we moved back up to Duluth. It was kind of our opportunity to, to get out of the city and get up into the woods. And so 
we have a bit of land um, of about 20 minutes out of town, out in the woods. It's awesome. Um, Sounds great. And then uh, outside of work, I mean, we get outside a lot. That's kind of our it's the whole point of living up here. So we do a lot of hikes up the shore. Um, my kids do mountain biking with me. There's a big mountain bike area here in Duluth because we've got a we've got a 700 foot elevation between the lake and the top of the hill. So you've got some pretty decent um, mountain biking. Mm-hmm. Um, and then snowshoeing, cross country skiing. Um, you got to find winter activities up here, otherwise you'll go nuts. Um, and then I, I also snowmobile quite a bit, so oh. I can ride from my house to Canada and and back in a day if I want to. I, I think um, the trails will go all the way to like Maine from that. Side. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're uh, they're and we're about three hours from the UP, um, so it's not terribly far. Uh, I don't venture that way because we get enough great snow here that I haven't had to load up and, and go somewhere else. Um, and then I think uh, I'm, I'm also an avid reader. So I find that the most beneficial thing that I can do, uh, I heard a quote once that, um, there's no problem that you have that somebody hasn't already had solved and written about. So if you're ever unsure what to do, go find a book. Hmm. Um, so I do audible and I read as much as I can. As much as my kids let me, uh, they're at the age now where they're starting to read. So we, we all get a little. <laughs> what are you reading read, now? What, what's what's your current book? I'm just curious. Yeah, um, what is it? Thinking fast and slow um, is oh. what I'm reading right now. Um, and then I just finished uh, the Cultural Code by. Is it Dan, I want to say Dan Doyle, but I'll probably get it wrong. Huh. And then uh, the Infinite Game by Simon Sinek was another most recent read. Nice. All good books. Yeah. Huh. Well, I enjoyed having you on today. I spent a, more time than usual because we, we can, <laughs> I, I had a list of things I wanted to ask you that maybe what I'll do in like six months or a year, we'll have you on again. Cause uh, yeah, absolutely. You'll be further along in the, the development side. You'll probably, you know, kind of paying some tuition. Yeah. Ex- paying yeah. some tuition. <laughs> <laughs> You know, but like you said, investing back into the company, even, you know, it's like the, it's the, that plateau um, where you have to spend and then you increase, maybe you spend. And so it's another way to look at it. Um, so it pays back dividends. So. It does. It does. And it's fun, right? It's kind of the enjoying part, right? It's going to figure something new out. And, you know, I think one of the things that happens over time is you, it's not that I'm confident I'm going to solve every problem. But what I am confident in is that I've solved enough problems that I might not know the answers today, but I'm pretty confident in my ability to try to figure them out. And I think that it's, it's through that repetition of doing something new, of growing and getting outside of your comfort zone, whether it's in your own leadership, whether it's in staffing, whether it's in revenue, whatever it is, right? Um, the more that you do that, the more you give yourself the confidence to do it again. Yeah. And I think that's the part that you know, when I was 20, I don't think I understood that like, oh, when I get older, I'm just going to be more confident, not because I'm smarter, not any smarter than I was in my 20s. Maybe I am. Maybe I read more than I did in my 20s. But, um, you know, what happens is, is you just you get the confidence to be able to know you can walk into the unknown and figure it out. And I think that's a pretty undervalued thing that happens in in running a business. Uh, I think that's great to Great to end on. I'm not going to add anything more to that. So, uh, <laughs> I want to connect with you. I know um, you're on LinkedIn. Yep. I think it's on a Nick. Yep. Yep. 
Yep. Um, it's probably the easiest way to get in touch with me. And then um, our, our website is rentwithheirloom.com. Um, and my email, you can email me right from our website if you have any questions or, or want to connect. Great. Well, I want to thank you again, Nate. Um, I encourage, uh, I'm sorry, Nick. <laughs> I'm looking at Nick and Adams and I made Nate out of it. Sorry about you that. You know, I grew up getting called Adam by every teacher <laughs> for my entire school career because Nick Adams and they just assume, you know, first name, last name, they got it mixed up. All. So you could call me if it starts with an N or an A. Yeah. You know, it does, it's... <laughs> the faux pas, right? Um, so, yeah. Oh, I want to thank you. And for anyone who's listening or watching, I encourage you to share it, um, like it. And hopefully you learned something today. I know I did. Uh, I think talk about this uh, predictive index. I took, I wrote notes. I'm going to get the name of your rep. And uh, thanks again. And thanks for listening. And this has been another episode of Leaders Who Scale. And that wraps up another episode. Thank you for joining. For show notes and other episodes, visit us at leaderswhoscale.com. Leaders Who Scale is sponsored by Siegel Solutions providing world-class services and cutting-edge tools that help businesses grow and succeed.